This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get out your Bibles and let's get started. For our teaching time today, we are going to go over the 1 Timothy passage. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. Now, this section of Scripture shows Paul as an example of the effect of the gospel. The mere fact that he says he's entrusted with the gospel shows that Paul has actually had a transformation in his life. And for this manifestation of grace to him, this is not merely a personal aside for Paul, like, hey, by the way, this is Paul saying the gospel has the power to transform lives and to make great changes in people's lives. And Spurgeon said about this passage, after Paul was saved, he became a foremost saint. The Lord did not allow him or allot him a second place or second place, second class place in the church. He had been the leading sinner, but his Lord did not therefore say, well, I'll save you, but I shall always remember your wickedness to your disadvantage. Not so. He counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry and into apostleship so that he was not a whit behind the very chief of the apostles. Brother, there is no reason why, if you have gone very far in sin, you should not go equally far in usefulness. So Spurgeon kind of lays it on the line here saying that, hey, if you've been changed by the Lord, you need to be starting to think about what you're going to do in ministry to serve him. Now, Paul, of course, right there is saying, thanks to the Lord. He says, I thank him who's given me strength because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, that word appointed is important because what it means is that we're not volunteers for the Lord. If you want to use this illustration, it means we're draftees. We are recruited by God and sent to do his work and we are duty bound to follow what the Lord says we need to do. Now, in verse 13, Paul says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent op opponent. Those words are really mild to where they're almost polite. Acts 8.3 says, Paul was ravaging the church. Does anybody know what ravaging means? And if not, it means to ruin, to destroy, or annihilate. So Paul was literally destroying the church in Jerusalem. It says in the book of Acts that he went from house to house, arresting people in there who were followers of Jesus the way. And they would take them to prison. And we wonder in the process how many children were left parentless in this process because it's doubtful. Well, maybe he did. He might have sent the children to the jail with the parents. Now, can you think of... That's pretty awful, right? And that's what Paul was doing. So he says, Mercy was shown to me, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
because he had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Now, God did not grant Paul what he deserved. Can we all agree on that? He doesn't give any of us what we actually deserve, by the way. But what he needed, Paul did nothing to merit or qualify for God's mercy in Christ. The apostle is not saying that ignorance can excuse sin. For even those who sin, when they do not know the will of the master, receive the consequences of their actions. Everybody get what we're saying there. We don't merit mercy. Mercy, by its very nature, is voluntary. God is not obligated to show any of us mercy. Amen? If He'd give us all what we deserve... Well, let's not go there. Now, in verse 14, it says, The grace overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ. It overflowed. Think about that. Psalm 23, verse 5 says... My cup overflows. That means that it was so full that it was running out over the top. And that's what Paul's telling us about the grace that the Lord showed for him. It was so much that it was just overflowing and bubbling over. Has anyone ever tried that experiment with vinegar and baking soda? Where it bubbles up and it just starts to run out over the top? That's a good illustration of what we're talking about here. Is that grace was shown... So there's this pot of vinegar, and then the grace would be the baking soda. You throw it in there, and it just foams and runs over. An even better example is if you have a bottle of Coke and use Mentos. Anybody knows what happens with that? That, that Coke shoots up out of the bottle, making like, looking like Old Faithful the geyser. That's what Paul's talking about. God's grace is that abundant, where it will blow and send a spray into the air because we'll be overflowing, walking and loving in the grace of God. Now, in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We can believe it because Paul's echoing Jesus in Luke 19.10 where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And by the way, here's a little aside here. Those bumper stickers that say, I found God, are slightly mistaken. You know why? No. Yeah, we didn't find God. He's not lost. God found us. And so that's what's going on there. Paul's talking about how God just came in, well, basically, knocked him on his keister, if you read the <laughs> story in Acts chapter 9, and said, hey, Paul, get up and go into the town here, and you're going to stay at this guy's house name, I think it's Ananias, or whoever. But you go into the town, and you'll hear, have somebody come and lay hands on you later. So he got led into the town. Now, Paul's experience here is an example of, and demonstrates God's power to change lives. God can change us from what we were to what He wants us to be and what He knows we ought to be and He's called us to be. God is in the business of transformation. And we, when we put our trust in Him, He starts working on us right away. 
And so Paul is this perfect example of that because it was not Paul's ignorance of his circumstances that saved him. It was the exceedingly abundant grace of God. And this is a faithful saying. Again, we're going to talk about that a little bit. This godly sensitivity towards sin was associated in the apostle's mind with an equally vivid sense of the freeness and richness of divine grace. That Christ died not for the righteous but for the guilty is the great thought that is on his mind. And he has no hesitancy in declaring it and in speaking most boldly concerning the exceedingly abundant grace of God in forgiving sin. Paul, by no means, is unusual in this regard. Have you ever read any of those awesome conversion testimonies by people who were like mafia hitmen and all this stuff? God can go in there and change those people. But sometimes the hardest people to change are the folks who already think they're okay because they don't think they need any changing. They say, well, I'm good enough the way it is. And we need to come along and say, <clears throat> no, you're not. And so God does the transform transformations in us. The people who are most clear in their witness that salvation is by grace are also the people for whom sin was exceedingly sinful. That's almost a repetition because sin by its nature is sinful. That should need no explanation. Now, look at what Paul wrote in verse 17. He says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. See, that looks almost like it doesn't belong there, doesn't it? Because here he's, Paul's talking about all this other stuff, and then suddenly he breaks into this basically a doxology. To the king of ages, the immortal, invisible, the God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's... Paul's basically singing a praise song there, and you would think that that's a perfectly reasonable response, because look at what he just said to us here, and what he said to Timothy. I thank him who's given me strength, because he judged me faithful. Formerly I was a blasphemer, but I received mercy, and the grace of the Lord overflowed to me. And this saying is trustworthy, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost." And I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So look at what Paul's saying there. I think it's perfectly natural that all of a sudden he might break into, you know, a doxology after the things he's been saying about what Jesus has done for him. Anybody seen any of those musicals from about 40, 50 years ago where all of a sudden they this for no apparent reason, break into a song and they start singing into one another's noses? Well, this is almost kind of like that. Paul is sitting there writing all this really profound stuff about what Jesus has done for him. And then he says, whom I have handed over. Oh, no, no, that's not. The only God be honor and glory forever and ever. He's praising God. Now, Paul could not help this outburst of praise when he remembered his own conversion and pardon and his being entrusted with the ministry of the gospel. 
he was obliged to put down his pen and lift up his voice in grateful thanksgiving to God. So may it be so with us as we remember what great things the Lord has done for us. God's done some awesome things in each of our lives, hasn't he? The mere fact that we are saved and that we are here is an example, shining bright example of one transformation that the Lord has made in our lives. There was a time in my life where you couldn't drag me to church. Or if you did get me there, it would be with my, you know, fingers dug in and they pulling me at my feet, dragging me there because I just didn't want to go. But then the Lord touched my life. And since that time, I have not ever thought about missing church. That is a profound change in an attitude. And that is why Paul is going you know, to the only God. Hallelujah, be honor and glory forever and ever. It's a natural response for when you have had God do so much stuff for you that we turn around and we praise him in response to that. So showing the gratitude, the gratitude that he's saved us, that he's blessed us, that he's met our needs. When we called on him saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month. And then suddenly somehow... The blessing arrives. See, he takes care of us. And for that reason, we should be able and willing to praise him any and every day. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.